everybody. Welcome to the Export. I'm Riven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the leader of John Morant for MVP campaign. How you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing good. Um, looking forward to another week of sports, and maybe the return of King here this week. Maybe we could see mentioning, you know, the return of King Henry. It is the final NFL week of the regular season. It would have ended last year, but I mean last week, but with the extended season, we get one more week where we get to see everybody play. As you mentioned with the NBA, I mean, getting one week closer to the NBA trade deadline. There was already a trade that was made that we'll talk about a bit later. I want to close out the show with my recap of WWE Day 1. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So to kick things off with our college football player spotlight, instead of putting it on a specific player, we are going to put it on college football bowl games in general. Not the championship college football playoff games. Those are different, but the bowl games, all the, what, 50, 60 other ones that take place where a lot of debates have been coming up if players who have aspirations to get drafted should participate. Um, Kirk Herb Street, beloved ESPN um, commentator, said, if you don't make the playoffs, if, if you don't make it to the playoffs, how is it meaningless to play football? I think this era of player just doesn't love football. Um, in response to that, Cordell, Cordell Patterson, former quarterback for Ohio State, said, it's not fair to question a player's commitment to a university for opting out of a bowl game when coaches jump ship left and right during bowl season. Also, not to mention a prime example of the potential dangers of not opting out is Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, who in their game um, suffered an ankle injury that luckily turned out not to be too serious, but could have seriously impacted his draft stock. So, Ethan, in your opinion, do you have a problem with draft prospects sitting out bowl games? Uh, I think that's a double-edged sword because I think, you know, if you do play and you have a good game, it can help increase your draft stock. But it's also like we stated with the situation with Matt Corral. If you play and then you get injured, that can also negatively affect your draft stock. To me, I think it just depends on where, how high do you think you're going. In my opinion, if you think you're a top draft pick and you are playing in the football and you are playing in the playoff, I would sit out personally. But if you're a guy that you know, you need to, you feel like you still need to build up some draft stock and rise up in those draft boards. I think you should play just because, you know, you can never have, you can never have that much positive tape to help build your resume to these NFL teams. Yeah, I feel you on that. I think, like you mentioned, excluding the playoffs where you're getting the chance to play for a national championship, I don't think that. Not to say that these other bowl games don't matter because they do. I mean, we saw in recent years so many players boost their draft stock with great performances. For example, most recently, Justin Herbert, last year in the Rose Bowl, he boosted his stock with how he played um, against Penn State. And so we've just seen it so many times. So I think that bowl games are important. But like you mentioned, if you're a player who's already pretty much solidified to go pretty high, I don't think it does you as much good as for other players. Um, I don't think that it really necessarily comes down to not loving football. I think it's just wanting to protect your future because, unfortunately, a lot of players, like, 
in order for them to have success, they've put so much time and stock into their football careers that they don't want to jeopardize it for one game. So I can understand that perspective of it. I don't think that it negates their overall love of football. Well, speaking of more football, let's talk week 17 of the NFL, starting with the uh, Los Angeles Rams edged out my Baltimore Ravens 20-19. to Seattle Seahawks in their season in Seattle, or at least had their – a uh, good final home game, 51-29, defeating the Lions. Uh, the Tennessee Titans handle business against the Dolphins, 34-3. Buffalo Bills defeat the Atlanta Falcons, 29-15. Uh, Patriots embarrass the Jacksonville Jaguars, 50-10. Uh, Raiders hold on against the Colts, 23-20. Tampa Bay Buccaneers come back to beat the Jets, 28-24. Eagles beat Washington football team, 20-16. Bears defeat Giants, 29-3. Cincinnati Bengals defeat the Kansas City Chiefs in one of the best games of the season, 34-31. Chargers defeat the Broncos 34 to 13. 49ers defeat Texans 23 to 7. Cardinals upset the Cowboys 25 to 22. New Orleans Saints keep their playoff hopes alive, defeating the Panthers 18 to 10. Packers destroy the Vikings Sunday Night Football 37 to 10. And then Big Ben has a nice final home game, defeating the Browns 26 to 14. That Bengals game did it for you, Ethan. You won the week with a record of 15 and 1. I came in second place with a record of 14-2. Not many injuries to really report on, the biggest one being uh, Cowboys losing wide receiver Michael Gallup for the rest of the year with the torn ACL. So, Ethan, what were your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways are, um, number one, Jamar Chase is definitely hands down the offensive rookie of the year. I understood earlier in the season, a lot of us, including myself, Tied that award to Mac Jones, but after his recent play, it's definitely Jamar Chase. Um, number two, it's even though you know we have we have this pleasure with some of the things that Big Ben has done off the field in his past, it's good to see a old a old vet go out on top with a W. And who knows if some weird things happen, they might be able to slide into the final playoff spot. And um, number three, like I said, the King apparently has made his return. Derrick Henry was in practice yesterday. Um, I saw a lot of the footage, and he looked great. So I, I highly doubt he plays this week, but I think that once, once this first playoff game comes around, he's definitely going to be suiting up. All right, so to play devil's advocate, I know you're excited to see King Henry back on the field, but would you even – let's say he is healthy enough to go on Sunday. Would you even let him play? No. Yeah, I don't I think, think it's worth it. Yeah, I don't think it's worth it. I think also it, it, makes, it, it makes it better when we've seen that we have – we still have a really good run game with Dante Freeman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that we can look at for the future. Like now maybe – you know, Eric Henry's been the guy that's been a bear cow. He's been getting a ton of carries. And I think now we might have a solidified running back, too, that you can throw back there. And maybe he starts to split more carries and kind of try to help preserve his body. So I wouldn't throw him out there this week at all, especially against the Texans. And, like, I feel like even though we lost to them earlier this year, I still feel like we could beat, we could have, we could beat the Texans without Derrick Henry in Atlanta. 
Yeah. And then, I mean, not to mention, it's not like y'all are just destitute. Like, if you guys did not win, it's not like y'all all of a sudden just aren't going to be in the playoffs. That's just not – it's not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree with you. I wouldn't risk it. Um, as we all know, my takeaways are going to be – not going to lie. They're coming after this episode is recorded. But, yeah, give takeaways for every game. But um, moving on to um, our p- impressive – most impressive, most disappointing in rookie of the week. I mean, my most impressive player – this is, I think, the first time I've given this award to a rookie. But, I mean, I couldn't go anywhere else but Jamar Chase. I mean – I know that the Chiefs secondary is not the best, but what he did to that secondary all game long was just criminal. 11 catches for 266 yards, three touchdowns. Obviously, my favorite moment was um, when Chadarius Ward thought he made a good play on him and tried to hit the gritty, and then two plays later got Moss for a touchdown. Like, I know I keep harping on how great my Bayou Bengals are, but Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, they've been looking amazing. And also on top of the great game Jamar has statistically, he broke the single-season rookie record for receiving yards. So got to show love to my main man, Jamar Chase. And, of course, he's my rookie of the week, too. Uh, offensively, I got to show love to my, to my running back, Matt Derrick and Plus Deontay Freeman. In the game, Derrick, he, I'm not going to – he's still like he had a lot of big even though it actually didn't um, because we still would have been in the playoffs but it never given the fact that we were trying to see if Derrick Henry was going to be back giving us a one seed and giving us a potential five that did mean a lot and he balled out if I'm not mistaken if I can remember correctly he had like 129 rushing yards and he did it against a Miami defense that isn't that bad I think maybe I think many folks have stated earlier where we couldn't put that much stock into Miami. It's like it's like seven game win streak simply because they weren't playing like the best of the best competition. They were kind of playing mid to lower level teams. But um, yeah, I gotta go with Dante Freeman. All right, moving on to the most disappointing player for me, I'm going Josh Allen. On the one hand, yes, he did rush for 81 yards and two touchdowns. But on the other hand, he had a terrible passing game against Atlanta's defense. 11-26 passing for just 120 yards and three picks. Honestly, I feel like the fact that he still was kind of in that MVP conversation to this point was a bit ridiculous. And then just seeing this game really kind of solidify why I don't think he should be in the MVP race. I just think that while Josh Allen is talented, this has been a big step back in terms of um, what we saw last year compared to this year. And it was just it was just a rough game, especially considering the caliber of team that they were going up against. I expected a much better performance out of him. Um, honestly, it's weird to say because now that I'm looking at his stats, I hate to say his name, but I'm going to say Dak Prescott in the re- make 
you on that um because i mean just last week we were talking about if we felt their win over washington was a fluke and it really turns out that it was all right rookie of the week could you really go anybody besides jamar chase that's a that's a bad man right there he won me a fantasy football championship i had 55 points Grateful for that man. All right, look, let's go ahead and look at the NFL playoff picture. So, on both sides, things look mostly sewed up, starting with the AFC. As of right now, the Titans are the one seed, two Kansas City Chiefs, three Cincinnati Bengals, four Buffalo Bills, five um, New England Patriots with two more spots left. As of right now, if the season ended right now, the Colts would have the sixth seed, the Chargers would have the seventh seed. But teams still in it, if not just ever so slightly, the um, Las Vegas Raiders, the St- uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Baltimore Ravens. All right, AFC championship, I mean, AFC playoffs in right now. Of the teams still kind of in the bubble, who do you think it th- gets those final two spots? Uh huh. Then, you know, the Chargers and the Raiders can make it in if they tie. So it's weird. Yeah. But, uh, I probably am going to say the Colts and the uh, Chargers. Yeah, I would go with Colts and Chargers as well. For the Raiders, I mean, while this past win over, uh, what's it called? Um, sorry, I can't even think of the name. Over the uh, Colts was a big win and definitely kept Keith, their season alive. I'm not really sold on the Raiders right now. I still think that they're not – they have a lot of things to really work on before I can really count on them as a playoff team. And then with regards to the Steelers, offensively we know their struggles and they have a tough game against Baltimore. And for Baltimore, same thing. I mean, it would just take too much for them to actually make the playoffs. That would require the Jags to beat the Colts, which I don't really think anybody thinks is going to happen. But, I mean, stranger things have taken place. Um, and then it would just require, I think, the Chargers would have to beat the Raiders since – the Ravens have the tiebreaker over the Chargers. It's a whole bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, I think it's the way that it is now, I think it's just going to stay that way. But right, let's go ahead and move on to the NFC side of things. All but one playoff berth is locked up. The um, Right now, the Green Bay Packers are the top number one seed. Rams are the number two seed. Number three seed, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Four seed, um, Dallas Cowboys. Five seed, Arizona Cardinals. Um, right now, the sixth seed are the Philadelphia – I'm sorry, not Philadelphia – the San Francisco 49ers, but their spot is not officially solidified, whereas the Philadelphia Eagles spot is because they won the head-to-head. And the New Orleans Saints are currently on the bubble. So, who you think it gets that final playoff spot, the New Orleans Saints or the San Francisco 49ers? Kind of improved game this last game, and I think that he, and also we 
go Saints only because of who their next opponent is. They face the Falcons, whereas the 49ers are going to be facing the Rams. And I think that the Rams, especially with how their latest slate of games against the 49ers, they're going to do whatever they can to get that win back. And so I think that they're not really going to rest any starters. So I don't see the 49ers beating them again, um, especially because it looks like the Rams kind of gotten that mojo back, especially with what Odell has been doing. Um, Cooper Cup has opportunity to chase history. Von Miller looks like he's starting to get into the flow of things. Whereas, like I said, with the Falcons, they're just kind of floating around aimlessly, and I think that that's definitely a much more winnable game for New Orleans. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. So the Hall of Fame finalists for the 2022 class are was released earlier this week um ethan i just sent it to you so look at yourself but some of the names that included are jared allen willie anderson ronde barber tony baselli leroy butler devin hester tory holt andre johnson sam mills richard seymour zach thomas demarcus ware reggie wayne patrick willis and bryant young so what we're going to do is of those names, we are going to pick the top five we feel like should be definite locks to make the Hall of Fame. So, Ethan, you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? I can go first. All right. Jared Allen, Torrey Holt, Demarcus Ware, Patrick Willis, Reggie Wayne. That's fair. For me, mine is almost exactly like yours. I got Demarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, Jared Allen, Andre Johnson, and Torrey Holt. I wanted to say Patrick Willis. I really did because he was a bad man with the 49ers. He was him and Navarro Bowman were one of my favorite linebacker duos to watch when they played. The only reason why I would go Andre Johnson over Patrick Willis is just because of the longevity. He did it much longer than Patrick Willis did because Patrick, didn't he retire at 30? He retired relatively young. Yeah, and whereas Andre Johnson was still tremendous and we all know the history of the bad Texans quarterback so that would be what really gave the nod to Andre Johnson for me but Patrick Willis is going to be in the Hall of Fame sooner rather than later but all right let's go ahead and change gears we got to talk about Antonio Brown so for those of you who I'm sure have saw saw the video and Sunday afternoon's game against the New Orleans Saints during what seemed to be a pretty competitive game um, all, we saw Antonio Brown take off his jersey, take off his gear, throw it into the crowd, run through the um, end zone, and then run out of the stadium. Of course, everybody at the time had no clue what the heck was going on until it was reported after that uh, by Bruce Arians that Antonio Brown was no longer a Buccaneer. Um, there were two different sides of the situation. Bruce Arians' side was... Um, he said that he was trying to get A.B. to go into the game, but Antonio Brown refused, tried again, Antonio Brown refused, and Arians told him to get out. Um, on if A.B. saw, on if he saw A.B. take his jersey off, he said, yeah, I did. I've never seen anything like that in all of my years in the league. However, unsurprisingly, the side of Antonio Brown is very different. Um, yesterday, via his um, lawyer, he had a, um, a statement was put out um, and here's just a chunk of it. Um, 
Because of my commitment to the game, I relented to pressure directly from my coach to play injured. Despite the pain, I suited up. The staff injected me with what I know now was a powerful and sometimes dangerous painkiller that the NFLPA has warned against using, and I gave it all for my team. I played until it was clear that I could not use my ankle to safely perform my playing responsibilities. On top of that, the pain was extreme. I took a seat on the sideline, and my coach came up to me very upset and shouted, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? I told him, it's my ankle. But he knew that. It was well documented and we had discussed it. He then ordered me to get on the field. I said, coach, I can't. He didn't call for medical attention. Instead, he shouted at me, you're done, while he ran his finger across his throat. Coach was telling me that if I didn't play hurt, then I was done with the Bucks. I didn't quit. I was cut. I didn't walk away from my brothers. I was thrown out. Being fired on the sideline for having a painful injury was bad enough. Then came their spin. Coach denied on national television that he knew about my ankle. That's 100% inaccurate. So, Ethan, I know it's, of course, it's always two sides to a story and then the truth. But, Ethan, on the one hand, which side do you are you leaning more towards being the truth? And what do you think is going to be the future for A.B.? Actually, before we get to that point, you saw that, they, that he put the text messages out to Bruce Arians, like, earlier today. Yeah, that he, um, that he did talk about his ankle. I mean, and I remember yeah. distinctly, like, on injury reports, A.B. wasn't playing because of his ankle. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreeance with you. And I think that kind of going on the A-B side of things, because he is such a polarizing figure, and it seems like the media is just waiting for him to do something wrong. They're just waiting for him to call to the scene or make a spectacle out of himself because, unfortunately, over the last few years, that's all that he's really done. I mean, even just earlier this season, he made a spectacle of himself using fake uh, vaccination cards, and people were getting on him about that. And so I think that this is just kind of like the latest – um, I guess 
the latest thing in the Antonio Brown circus, which is unfortunate because on this side, I don't really think he's in the wrong. Like he mentioned, and like with the text message, like everybody knew that he was hurt. He'd missed several games due to the injury. His ankle had been having a problem, and the text message further showed that he had legitimately been hurt, and everybody knew it. And I, like you mentioned, you, I think you made a really good point about, you know, Arians being frustrated about losing to the Jets. Like, how are we a playoff team, potentially a Super Bowl contender, losing to the Jets who haven't done anything all season? And so I think that definitely could have kind of been in a frustrated response coming from him. And I hate that this is how it ends because, truthfully, I just think both sides look bad because – on the one hand, Bruce Arians looks like he doesn't really care about his players' well-being, and he's trying to make A.B. look bad. And on the other side, because of how A.B. decided to lose the game, that played the biggest role in, like, how we perceive it. Because now I'm sure on social media, everybody's seen those posts. It was like, I'm feeling like A.B. right now. Like, I want to quit. Like, everybody's, like, kind of making jokes about it because that's what the lasting memory is going to be. Not many people are going to continue looking at the full story and see why A.B. did what he did. We're just going to see, oh, this man, like, took off his jersey and, like, left the stadium mid-game. So, like you mentioned, I think just for both sides, it's a rough look. But where does A.B. go from here? Do you think he plays for another team in the NFL or is he done? I think. I honestly and truly, I think he's done. Um, even if he's proven that, like, it was not on the back of the ankle injury and everything that he said is true, I still think that he's done, given the fact that the way that he left. Because if you're an NFL team and you look up and you see, like, the lasting image of Antonio Brown, it's him taking off his jersey, running in the end zone, throwing up peace signs the fans, and all of that, like, there's something that can stick in your head. There's something to where it's like, when you're an athlete, you don't want to, uh, you don't want to, you don't want a guy to quit on your team, or you don't want the, like, that fiasco that he potentially bring to your organization. So, I definitely, even though I feel like he, he, I feel like this is one of the situations where he isn't in the wrong, in the why, I think it's the re- it's the it's the action that he took place that is going to seal his fate in the NFL. Yeah, I think that I think this year definitely he's not going to get signed. I don't think anybody's going to pick him up. But next year, I mean, you know the NFL as much as I do, and yes, this is a bad look. But I mean, nobody thought he got picked up after he called Mike Mayock and John Gruden crackers and flipped out on the Raiders front office, and he got signed. Um, nobody really thought that he would get many more opportunities after how bad he clowned the Steelers. I mean, yeah, he kept his cool with the Patriots, but, I mean, you're not going to act crazy with Bill Belichick. But I think that the NFL is such a gimme, gimme, I want to win now type of league to where, unfortunately, while this is a bad image, the way he left the Bucks, a team could go down a wide receiver in the preseason or during training camp and be like, dang, we need to bring in a talented wide out. And then looking at A.B.'s numbers from this past year, he was in line to get all of those incentives um, that would have earned him over a million dollars. Like, he was having a really good year before he went down. And so because of that, I do think that I'm not sure what team it would be, but I could definitely see a team deciding to pull the trigger. It may be not, you know, like I said, late in the summer or, like, maybe after the regular season starts just because they want to, like, let some time go by before everyone kind of jumps on the bandwagon away. Didn't you do X, Y, and Z? But I could definitely see A.B. being signed again unless he just decides to retire. 
But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. And we're keeping things in the Big Apple, talking about the New York Giants, who, let's be honest, have not looked good and have definitely underperformed on every expectation this year. However, head coach Joe Judge feels confident in his program and said, this ain't some clown show organization. In fact, he says that players are begging to stay with the team. He said, I can tell you we've got more players here who are going to be free agents next year, all right. We're there in my office every day begging me to come back. So, believable or buffoonery, the New York Giants are a desirable team to play for. I'm going to try to leave it at foot purely a football standpoint, and I'm going to say no, mainly just because while the talent – there is definitely talent on this uh, Giants team, offensively and defensively. As I mentioned, they definitely underperform. But it's kind of just that frustrating thing of, like, do people really want to play for Joe Judge? Because by all inclinations, it sounds like he's just kind of like a wannabe Bill Belichick. However, he doesn't get the results that Bill Belichick gets, so it's kind of causing tension in the locker room. I mean, we talked about earlier in the season when they lost the game and he tried to make the team run laps around the stadium. And different instances like that, there are reports coming out like anonymous players feel don't like him. And so I think that while the team definitely has that talent, the question is do you want to deal with a wannabe dictator who's not getting you wins? And in that retrospect, I'm going to say no. But speaking of winning, we got to talk about my main man, Joey B, has had back-to-back tremendous games and has started to get a lot of praise from uh, media outlets. For example, Dan Orlowski on Get Up said, Joe Burrow has what every franchise wants and chases in a quarterback. He's a top five QB. That is not not for a conversation anymore. So, believable or buffoonery, Joe Burrow has cemented himself as a top five quarterback in the NFL today. Mm-hmm. He hadn't played to the normal standard they were used to. Then you have guys like Ben Roethlisberger, who's normally for a while been in that conversation. He's gotten older. The fact that that's play hasn't been um, as regressed on. You also look at the fact that Deshaun Watson hasn't played a down in this season. I, being honest, I don't see anything outrageous with this statement, just given the fact that we're in this, I feel like we're in this flux of like, I think it's clear cut who the number, who the top three are with like that four and five spot kind of is left, left to be questioned. And Joe Burrow is now going to be thrown in one of those spots. 
Yeah, I can see that, especially with this season. I mean, I wouldn't even say top three are really solidified. I say just top two, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, whichever way you want to, like, sort those cats out. But, yeah, like you mentioned, there was a lot of regression. Russell Wilson, you know, dealing with his injury has been the same rush that we know and love. Deshaun not playing. Personally, I wouldn't put Big Ben in the top ten quarterback conversation. But, you know, he's been – a great quarterback for several years, so I understand kind of having that respect factor. And then, of course, Tom Brady, wherever you want to kind of fit him in. But Joe Burrow, I think that I think that he's really starting to show himself as that star that everybody was expecting him to be. And honestly, I mean, like we talked about it last week, with between him and Justin Herbert, it's like pick your poison. Which one? It's just kind of as a preference thing about which quarterback you prefer. And you can make an argument for both those cats potentially being top five in the league. And I'd see Joe Burrow has definitely cemented himself in that conversation. But speaking of Bengals, let's talk about Jamar Chase. We talked about it earlier with just the tremendous game he had against the Kansas City Chiefs. And when asked about if he should be the offensive rookie of the year, um, he said, I better be. Now, of course, you and I feel like he should be the offensive rookie of the year. But, unfortunately, like we saw last year, a talented wide receiver was um, not selected for a good quarterback. So, believable or buffoonery, Mac Jones will probably still win offensive rookie of the year over Jamar Chase. I'm going to say buffoonery. And the reason I'm saying buffoonery is I think that the lasting image of at least recently, of Jamar Chase and Mac Jones has been different. The last image has been Jamar Chase making an ascension to being one of the top one of the top wide receivers in the NFL in his rookie season. And over the course of like these past couple weeks, Mac Jones has struggled, yeah. and he hasn't looked like the consensus number one offensive rookie of the year quarterback that he was maybe four to five weeks ago. And I think things like that are put into account. Whereas Jamar Chase, honestly, I think, if I'm not mistaken, outside of maybe like one game or two games, he's been a dominant offensive force. So if it were me, in my thinking, and I would say performer. I'm going to say believable. I think that it could still definitely happen. Unfortunately, because if both teams – well, both teams are going to make the playoffs, and you know how much the league loves to reward quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen it multiple times again where a skill position player arguably has a better year than the quarterback, but because the quarterback is said quarterback, they get the award. Honestly, a few weeks ago, I think I was more so leaning towards Mac Jones is probably going to get it. But like you mentioned, I mean, his game against the Bills wasn't very good. His game against the Colts wasn't very good. He had a solid game against the Jags, but, I mean, that's nothing compared to what Jamar Chase just did. Um, So with that being said, I – Unfortunately, I could still see Mac Jones getting it, but I don't think anybody wants to see that happen. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. Speaking of things no one wants to see happen, Green Bay has potential to lose two of their best offense, well, not even offensive, their two best players in Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams next year. Um, Aaron Rodgers potentially could retire or join a different team, and Devontae Adams could try to move on to greener pastures. When asked about the potential of Aaron Rodgers' impact in his future, he said, naturally it does. Why wouldn't it? I'm playing with the best quarterback to play the game. It won't be the end-all, be-all, but it'll definitely be something I'm monitoring. It's not much of a surprise, but the Packers are more than likely going to franchise tag um, Devontae Adams this next season, try to keep him in tow. But 
believable or buffoonery, if the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers, they definitely will lead, lose Devontae Adams too. Yeah, if they don't front that, then I think, I think Devontae Adams is going to lead for a team with a better quarterback because we've seen what they have in Jordan Love, and he, obviously he's nowhere near the standard of Aaron Rodgers, but he still didn't look like a competent quarterback in his, in his um, brief tenure starting with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I could see that as well. I mean, one team that continues to stick out for me is the um Los Angeles Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, they clearly have a dire needed wide receiver. He has a strong relationship with Derek Carr. Like, I think, in my opinion, I think that's just the most likely destination if he were to leave Green Bay. But, yeah, I mean, we saw Jordan Love, and this is not to say that Jordan Love is just going to be a disappointment whenever he becomes their starter, but I just have a hard time believing that they're just – I have a hard time believing that Devontae Adams is just going to want to start over because, like you mentioned, he's gotten used to a, cal- a certain caliber of quarterback play, and nobody really wants to just go step down from that, especially in such a big way. Um, no offense to Jordan Love, but, I mean, it's hard to follow Aaron Rodgers anywhere. All right, let's go ahead and move on continue on with quarterback uh, conversation. Let's talk some Matthew Stafford, who, despite the Rams' five-game winning streak, has caught some criticism over his last couple of games. After the Rams made it out against the Baltimore Ravens 20-19, to uh, Dan Pompey of The Athletic said, Matthew Stafford is not playing like a quarterback who can win games in the playoffs. Tubby, um, he added, a team as talented as the Rams shouldn't have to score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, including one with one minute and one second remaining to get a one-point victory against the team as undermanned as the Ravens. And he may have some merit to that. Last couple of games, he's had three tu- three touchdowns in comparison to five picks. Really has been struggling, including that pick since against Baltimore. Um, in your opinion, believable or buffoonery, Matthew Stafford will cost the Rams playoff success. Um, I'm gonna say buffoonery under the pretense of we don't know. Yeah. Because the reality of it is, it's like Matthew. It could be a game where Matthew Stafford has a great game, but let's say they run into a team and the defense gives up 30 points, and the offense, the offense, Matthew Stafford has a great game, and they only score 27. Yeah. That's not Matthew Stafford's fault. So it's hard for me to just sit up and say that he's going to be the sole reason why a team loses. Because for one, like it's, football is a thing where it, it's a game that's affected by so many moving parts. Like we say they go up against a terrific defensive line and the old line can't block the Matthew Stafford. It's not his problem. So I'm going to have to say buffoonery simply because I think it's too many pieces that you can blame for a playoff loss just outside of the quarterback. 
Yeah, I agree with you. I'm saying buffoonery as well. And then another piece of that is, I mean, even though he has had these struggles, I mean, his team still found a way to win. And I think that even though we talk about, you know, it wasn't the best games, I mean, who's to say they'd even be in this situation if Matthew Stafford was not there? He's already been a remarkable improvement over what they've had over the past few years with Jared Goff. And I trust him more, uh, meaning Stafford, in the playoffs more than I trust Goff. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too. All right, last piece before we make our game picks. Um, one of Matthew Stafford's teammates, Cooper Cup, has potential to break the all-time single-season receiving record, but he feels like doing so would be a bit tainted. He said, it wouldn't hold the same weight to me as it does for guys that have done that in a 16-game season. You kind of have to separate the two. I mean, he's only 135 yards away from breaking Calvin Johnson's mark, another record that probably will be broken, is T.J. Watt, who now has 21 and a half sacks on the season, did so after getting, what, four sacks on Monday against the Browns? And it was ridiculous. And also, so now he is – um. He has just one. He needs just one more sack to tie Michael Strahan's all-time record of 22 and a half sacks. And considering the offensive line he's going up against, he probably will get it. But believable or buffoonery, breaking records this season does not carry the same weight as it does in the past. Uh, I'm gonna say buffoonery. I think, and the reason I say buffoonery is simply because like you still breaking records, and like I'm gonna. More specifically towards TJ Watt. Like, TJ Watt missed like four games. Yeah. So, having that whole concept of him having the extra game, it still really didn't help his case because if, if it were, like, the thing of it being is, if it were last if last week was the last game in the NFL, people would still be like, this man literally was one sack away from breaking the record and he missed four games out of the season. Yeah. And the fact that he just has one more game is like, okay, like he is basically cementing he's going to tie or break this record. So I don't put that much weight into it. I can understand it from the aspect of like, given the fact that they did it in a um, a lower number of games, it does make it kind of it, it makes it you can look at it and be like, oh, he did it in eighteen versus seventeen. 16 versus 17, but it's also like, it's just one more game. It's not like, in my opinion, I would look at it differently if, if they if he broke it and it was like eight, five, and five more games are added to the schedule. Then somebody be like, well, you had five more games than anybody else in the NFL has ever done it versus one more game. You never know what's going to happen in that one game. Like, you could break it or you could not. So, I'm going to say That's fair. I mean, I think it just, for me, it's kind of a case-by-case basis. I feel like with Cooper Cup, what Cooper Cup has done this season is tremendous, but I'm going to find it more impressive that Calvin Johnson did so in 16 games. But looking at T.J. Watt and his situation, like you mentioned, he missed multiple games and is still one freaking sack away from the all-time record. That is a billion times more impressive. And so him getting that extra game is just kind of like making up for a game that he already missed. So it for me, it just kind of depends – but I I can see some belief to it just because it's like it took you longer to do it. And so because of that, I, I'm not to say it totally tanks it. Like, it's still cool to break the record, but I just find it more impressive to do it in a shorter amount of time. That's just me. But, all right, let's make our picks for the final 
week of the regular season, starting off with my Baltimore Ravens. I lied. I definitely lied. Starting off with the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Denver Broncos, one of two games being played on Saturday. I got Chiefs. I got Dallas Cowboys versus the Philadelphia Eagles. Two playoff teams, but I still think the result stays the same. Cowboys win. Yeah, I got Cowboys. Now time for my Baltimore Ravens versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's been a rough close out of the season. Baltimore, we're not making the playoffs, but we can at least spoil Big Ben's final regular season game. Plus, Terrell Suggs is going to be the um, legend for the game, and we know how much T-Sizzle hates quarterbacks. So I got Baltimore. I got that's fair. Cincinnati Bengals versus the Cleveland Browns. I got Bengals. I got Bengals in a blowout. It should be. Also, this is just side tangent. Did you hear that apparently Baker Mayfield is upset with the Browns play calling and feels like Kevin Stefanski is not playing to his strengths offensively? Bro, your strengths offensively are your play action quarterback. He is playing to your strengths. Literally, like, dude, shut up. Like, you can't sit here and act like you have not played, like, garbage all year. Please shut up. Washington football team versus the New York Giants. I got Washington. Hopefully no uh, stands in MetLife break because that looked like that would have been a terrible and horrifying thing to experience, and I would have sued the hell out of Washington for that. Yeah. Yeah, I got uh, Minnesota Vikings versus the Chicago Bears. I got Minnesota. I got Bears because I don't know if Kirk Cousins is Tennessee Titans versus the Houston Texans. I got Titans. Titans. Jacksonville Jaguars versus the Indianapolis Colts. I got Colts. Colts. Uh, Green Bay Packers taking on the Detroit Lions. More than likely, Aaron Rodgers isn't going to play, even though he said like hell to the thought that uh, he wasn't going to be able to play this week. But I still got Packers. Yeah, I got Packers. Uh, moving on to the um, New York Jets versus the Buffalo Bills. I got Bills. Bills. New Orleans Saints versus the Atlanta Falcons. I got Saints. Fair enough. Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Carolina Panthers. I'm sure we're not going to see many starters play this game, but I'm just not picking the Panthers right now. I got Bucks. Yeah, I got Bucks. Los Angeles Rams versus the 49ers. I mentioned it earlier in the show. I think they get revenge on San Fran. Yeah, I got Rams. New England Patriots versus the Miami Dolphins. I got Patriots. Seattle Seahawks versus the Arizona Cardinals. I got Seahawks in the upset. This could potentially be... My main man, Russell's last game in Seattle. I mean, well, last game for Seattle. I say they go out with a bang. Uh, I'm going to agree with you, Seattle. All right, last but not least, Sunday Night Football determining a playoff spot. The Las Vegas Raiders hosting the Los Angeles Chargers. Earlier in the season, it was a hyped-up matchup, but I think the result stays the same. I got Chargers. All right, let's talk the offensive, defensive, and rookie teams we are walking, watching this week. Um, offensively, I'm watching Derek Carr. This is your opportunity to lead your team to the playoffs first time in a few years. This has been a tumultuous year for Vegas, but this will be a great opportunity to show that you guys can still somehow be a playoff contender. Oh, for me, offensively, I'm going to be looking at Dak Prescott again. Like I said, he hasn't been the quarterback that we expect him to be. From, the, from how he played early in the season, I want to see if maybe he can use this kind of, I'm not going to say easy matchup, but not nearly as competitive of a matchup to kind of get back on the track. 
All right, moving on to our defensive player we're watching, TJ Watt. We just mentioned it, man. I, I hate the Steelers, but I respect the Steelers. But I love me some TJ Watt. He is one of my favorite defensive players in the league. And with how bad Baltimore's offensive line is, there is no way he's not going to break the all-time record. And hopefully this will finally be the year this man stops getting robbed for defensive player of the year. All right, moving on to the rookie you're watching. I'm watching Jamar Chase. I mean, it's hard to follow a 266-yard performance, but if I had to pick any rookie wide receiver to do it, it would be him. I mean, I think that with a really strong game uh, this week, he can really solidify himself as the offensive rookie of the year. So I'm excited to see what he can do. All right, and then team we're calling out. I mean, most of the teams are pretty much solidified, so it's hard to really go with one. So one time for the one time, I'm going to say Baltimore, mainly just because, like I mentioned earlier, I want to see us beat Pittsburgh. I want to see us in uh, Pittsburgh playoff chances, send Big Ben home with the loss, and just close out this rough season on a positive note and get freaking healthy. Most deaf. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Ethan, what are your top three takeaways of this past week of action? Top three takeaways are um, apparently Father Time doesn't affect one by the name of LeBron James. Two, um, John Murray, and it's, I can't even say just John Murray. It's just been a recent surge of good play by guards in this um this past month slash beginning of the new year. John Morant's been amazing. DeMar DeRozan's been amazing. Trey Young has been amazing. And it's it's really good to see just the creativity that these guys have displayed. And in the case of DeMar just and John just the way that they come up being in the clutch. And number one, um I don't know if you know, but the Warriors might be a lot more dangerous come Saturday. I thought and it was Sunday. Yeah, it's sun- it might be Sunday. And that's a scary sight. Yeah, we'll definitely find out. Um, all right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week. Starting out of the Eastern Conference, you mentioned him just a second ago. I'm going DeMar DeRozan. I mean, you and I, before the start of the season, we were very skeptical of how he was going to fit in in Chi-Town, but he has done a seamless job knocking off back-to-back game winners for the Bulls. I think that right now they still hold the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. I mean, 
really just been on a tear. Three state games with 28 or more points, just really showcasing the offensive star that he was when he was in Toronto. And I'm happy to see DeMar balling out. So he's definitely my Eastern Mamba of the week. Yeah, I got to go with DeMar as well. Um, that man has been the epitome of a buggy ever since this year has started. And he, it seemed like he took it up to another level once he came back from the um, COVID protocols. Yeah. All right, moving on to our Western Mamba of the Week. I got to go John Morant. I mean, back-to-back great weeks of action, continuing to do it. And mind you, he's doing it in a multitude of ways. On the third, he defeated the Nets, who were nearly back to full strength, outdueled KD and James Harden, got a lot of praise from KD, and then won it in a close one against Cleveland. I mean, really just showcasing that he's a true leader for this Grizzly squad, and I'm so excited to see what more he can do, not just this year, but in the future. Yeah, and mentioning that good young team. Well, not just him, because he, he had a great game as well, but also shout-out to Desmond Bain, who balled out too. I can't, can't, can't leave him out. But, yeah, speaking of that uh, good young Cleveland Cavaliers squad, shout-out to Evan Mobley, who was my rookie of the week, um, had a really good succession of games, as he has done most of this year. Played a bit, really big role in this Cavs team, getting that attention. 24-9 against the um, Pacers. 17-8 and eight against the Grizzlies, really just looking like one of the most consistent rookies we have seen in a long time. Yeah, I'm also giving it to Evan Mobley as well. I think that he's shown. Honestly, the future that Cleveland is looking incredibly bright. You have a guard on talents of Darius Garland, and then you have a big, this is versatile, and then the talented is Evan Mobley. And I watched... I saw lots of that Grizzlies game, and one of the things that I noticed is, and I'm gonna say this now, I'm thankful that we won. But I feel like if the Cavs would have fed the ball to Evan Mobley more, we would have lost. So I think they have a really, really bright future in the Eastern Conference. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to some news, starting with. As we mentioned last week, uh, Ricky Rubio is done for the year with a torn Achilles, and Cleveland was looking to make some moves to replace the veteran point guard and did so by trading for Rajon Rondo from the Los Angeles Lakers. In return, the Lakers um, received – so here's how the trade ended up playing out. It became a three-team trade between Cavs, Lakers, and Knicks. The Knicks acquired Denzel Valentine as a part of that trade, and the Lakers saved $4 million in cash considerations. Um, the Knicks gave up two draft right players not expected to be in the NBA, and they also saved $1.1 million. So I know this isn't the big-name trade, quote-unquote, that we were respecting we were expecting but Ethan when do you think the dominoes are really going to start falling with regards to NBA trades taking place because we still got I think at least a month and a half before the NBA trade deadline um I think it's going to happen kind of closer towards the deadline I think now teams are still trying to teams are, some teams are still trying to figure out what they actually have on their roster and what they might actually need to make a push and I also think 
just because you know you don't want to make a trade for a guy as soon as you get him, he goes in the COVID protocols. True. So, um, I do think it's just gonna be. It's not gonna be like an instantaneous. People just start making trades out the wazoo. I think it's gonna be a while. Maybe kind of like normal when it gets to like the last, the day before the last day and the last day of the deadline. That's when you're gonna see a lot of trades just kind of flying out of nowhere. Yeah, I feel you on that. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to showing some love to uh, Spurs assistant coach and WNBA legend Becky Hammond, who has accepted the job for the head coaching job for the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces. That means her and Aja Wilson are going to be together. Possibly they could bring back Liz Cambridge. I mean, the Aces look like they they going to have a nice little squad, so congratulations to her for getting the job. I mean, I think she's going to be tremendous, even though I'm a Sparks fan, and honestly, I love her to replace Derek Fisher. That's neither here nor there. I'm happy for her. But in turn, do you think that we, the NBA, has missed its opportunity to have its first female head coach? Because truthfully, if it wasn't going to be Becky Hammond, I don't know who it was going to be. Yeah, I think they did. That's fine. It could I'm be worse. Yeah, I'm incredibly happy that we got Becky. But um, now to go to the question at hand, I think that they, they actually did lose the opportunity to have the first senior head coach. And because Becky Hammond, she had been an assistant to Greg Popovich for, I think, four years. Mm-hmm. And she was a great basketball man. You could even see the guys on the team when she would when she would lead huddle. She even coached some games when Pop was out with right. certain illnesses or things of that nature. So I think they have missed their opportunity. And I honestly don't see it coming back anytime soon because I don't really think that it'll be another woman that they kinda of put in their regard with the basketball mind that Becky Hammond has in the NBA for a while. Yeah, I agree because I mean truthfully I really wouldn't have been surprised if Becky Hammond would have replaced Coach Pop in San Antonio. I mean, she had been there long enough. As you mentioned, she'd already done – had opportunities to be the head coach for the team when Pop was unavailable. So I really thought that this – that would have been next. But I'm still incredibly happy for her, and I'm excited to see what she can do with the Aces. But, yeah, I just don't see any other woman who – legitimately could have a chance to be a head coach anytime soon. So that aspect of it sucks. But I am happy for Coach Hammond and excited to see what she can do. But all right, so let's go ahead and talk about Kendrick Perkins, who on um, ESPN gave his starters for the All-Star game, which is also coming up upon us. And so inspired by his choices, we are going to give our – Eastern and Western starters. Now, first things first, on the Eastern side, his all-star starters were Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Ethan, starting with the East, who would be your starting five for the all-star game? Dang, no Giannis. All right, so for me, I said Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan, KD, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. All right, out of the Western Conference, he said Steph Curry, John Morant, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, and Rudy Gobert. Anything you change with that group? I'm taking out Rudy Gobert. Who are you replacing him with? Uh, 
the thing about like it's hard looking at the bigs in the Western Conference because besides of course Nikola Jokic, like it's been it's been Rudy and Rudy and the Temptations. It hasn't really been many other big men who have really balled out the way that he has this year. And I know his version of balling out is very different than other guys, but actually, I know who I'm putting in. Mm-hmm. I'm putting in Draymond. Fair. Draymond has been balling. Honestly, I'm in agreement with uh, I'm in agreement with Kendrick Perkins. I would leave it as is. But I'm actually happy that you mentioned Draymond Green because you're not the only person who has pretty high um, comments about him. Quinn Snyder, the head coach of the Utah Jazz, had this to say about Draymond. He said, I think if you want to put someone in the MVP conversation, he's someone to me. He just does it his way. Now, while Draymond Green may not have the sexiest numbers, I mean, as of this quote, Draymond was averaging 8.4 points per game, 7.9 rebounds per game, and 7.5 assists per game. It's clear that Draymond's back brand of basketball is a conducive to a winner so believable or buffoonery draymond green deserves more recognition believable um i'm a big draymond green guy also probably coincides the fact that i'm a michigan state fan as far as basketball but i think that draymond green is one of those guys that he doesn't have like he's just like he doesn't have the sexiest numbers but he affects winning like he he knows how to win. He does everything that's needed to win ball games, and that's something that people at times don't take, they don't appreciate. And I think that there's been something that's affected Draymond Green's career, whereas he he got more recognition for kind of sometimes people thinking him as a dirty player, including myself. But it's been what the reality of it is: is Draymond is just a guy that is willing to do whatever it takes to win a game, and you see on a night to night basis, like. This man is six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pounds, and he he willingly guards guys twice his size on a nightly basis and does a pretty decent job. And now he he used to do a really great job in his prime, but now he still does a really decent job in doing it. So I do think that Draymond Draymond needs to get more recognition um, just for what he does on the court. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that Draymond definitely deserves his flowers. I know it's so much the Steph Curry show, and rightfully so because he's been balling out, but Draymond Green has been right there with him, being that defensive force and then just making those plays that we know Draymond can make. I mean, the fact that his uh, his stat sheet is just so spread out because, I mean, he can score if you need him to. He can rebound. He's also a very good passer considering his size. I mean, that definitely deserves more recognition. All right, but continuing on with the Warriors, let's talk about his teammate. Um, when you gave your takeaway, as you mentioned, the Warriors have a big return coming, and that is Klay Thompson. He is just days away from making his NBA debut first game in, what, two years now? And it leads to a lot of reasons for excitement, so much so that when asked about um, the plans for him when he returns, Steve Kerr said, Clay is going to start when he comes back. I'm not going to mess around. While it's nice to see the confidence in his player, believable or buffoonery, it is only right that Klay Thompson starts as soon as he comes back. Um, I'm going to say believable in this aspect. If, if he's shown in his time and practice that he can physically compete with the guys that's in the starting lineup, then he deserves to start. The only reason why I don't think he, I would say he shouldn't start 
as if he's shown that he can't physically compete with the guys in the star lineup and he needs to work his way back. But if he's shown that he's physically capable, throw him in the star lineup. Fair. Yeah, I I don't know. Me personally, I think I would have him come off the bench. One, because I feel like if he comes off the bench, you can get a bigger crowd reaction when he checks into the game. So that would be a nice moment for him. And two, I just wouldn't want to rush him back completely. I kind of want to give him opportunity to kind of just ease back into the swing of things. But like you mentioned, I mean, if he can physically go, then I mean, and if he still has the shot, then I mean, it's hard to keep him off the court. But that's just my opinion. All right, so continuing to move on about a team that has not exactly had the same success. We've got to talk about the Houston Rockets, who last week it seemed to be some trouble. Now, during a um, the halftime break against the Denver Nuggets, rookie Rockets assistant coach John Lucas called out multiple players, including Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. Um, Porter Jr. got into a heated exchange and left the arena after it, and then Woods was benched for the entire second half of the game. It led to quite a few problems in including um, both players being suspended for one game due to their poor behavior. Needless to say, it was a pretty rough showing. As we all know, Kevin Porter Jr. bounced back. Both of them did uh, this week, having some solid games. But believable or buffoonery, the Rockets are bound to have a roster overhaul due to players' detriment. Something's going to change. I know that they have Eric Gordon, but I feel like Eric Gordon, Eric Gordon is one of those little few pieces that they can potentially throw into a trade because he's a veteran that can still produce in this league. And we all know that championship caliber team loves those type of guys. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's moved on the doing this trade season. But I think the big thing for the Rockets is they're going to they're going to have to get some veterans that can have a voice in that locker room, very similar to. I always allude to back to Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill when they were here in Memphis. Like a lot of people don't realize, but this Memphis team now is a really, a really, really young team. You you don't have like John Morant's 21, 22, Jaron Jackson's 22, 21, 22. Like a lot of the guys in that locker room is young. In the same case with the guys in Houston, those guys are younger. But the thing that happened in Memphis is we had veterans to, you know, put those guys on track. Like, and I don't see that in Houston. Like, I don't see a veteran that's in their locker room to prevent something like that from taking place. And I think that's something that the Rockets are going to look back and think on and try to um, correct in the in the coming trade deadline slash offseason. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, on the one hand, having a young squad is good, especially because, I mean, it helps you kind of shape your future. But on the other hand, you do kind of need those veterans to keep those young guys in place. I know Christian Wood is, what, 27, 28, something like that. So he's not necessarily as young as Kevin Porter. But you don't want instances like this to have a negative effect on your players and have them thinking that they can – carry be like this that they can act like this you don't want Jalen Green who is you brought him in to be your star to think that oh well, I can just flip out on a coach and everything will be cool you want to have um veteran guys as you mentioned that can kind of help show like nah that's not how you do things in the NBA what these cats did was just a one-off thing and it's not meant to be condoned and unfortunately 
like you said, I mean, the Rockets really don't have anybody like that. Like, Eric Gordon is definitely a veteran, but he's not one of, like, the more vocal guys. He's not somebody like a Dre, Jay Crowder who can is going to step in in those situations and just kind of, like, help blow off the steam of it. So, with that being said, I agree with you. I do think that the Rockets definitely need to make that happen. Of course, it's not going to be somebody who's going to be really pivotal and, like, make them a playoff team, but just get somebody who, who with maturity to help out the younger cats. But speaking of maturity, it seems like that is a bit in doubt in Milwaukee. Um, Robert Horry, seven-time NBA champion, has some interesting comments about the Bucks' title chances this season. He said, Milwaukee ain't going to go back because they shouldn't have been there in the first place. I don't think there's ever going to be a chance for a team to three-peat, Horry said in the recent uh, episode of his podcast. You might get a team to go back-to-back, but as far as three-peat, I doubt that. It might even be any back-to-back teams. It might not be any back-to-back teams because what the Lakers did. They won the championship. The next year, they got a whole different team. We know the Milwaukee, they ain't going to go back because they shouldn't have been in the first place. They only won that because of a big toe. So, believable or buffoonery? The Milwaukee Bucks have no chance of repeating as NBA champions. That's buffoonery. Because I think the outside of Philly, well, honestly, I can't even say outside of Philly, both outside of Chicago, the other top teams in the Eastern Conference, they have, like, I'm not going to say needs, but they have, like, pressing issues. Like with the Brooklyn Nets, they're going through this process of integrating Kyrie Irving and breaking him back. And he's only a part-time player, so how's that going to look? Like at home games, your team's going to look completely different than they do in games away. When you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, they're still in this, even though it hasn't been nearly as talked about as it was during the offseason earlier this season. They're still in this ongoing cycle with Ben Simmons. And what is that going to look like? And I understand that, yes, they um, they still look incredibly competent and like a really good team. But what is the trade deadline is um, getting closer. And we know once things like that happens, the whispers of all the six is going to be able to get rid of him by the trade deadline are going to wrap back up. So... And honestly, I think people don't understand but Milwaukee this year, they look like a better team than they did last year. Simply because this is they were they were in the process of getting to know how to play with each other and getting continuity with each other. And I think this year you have everyone there adjusting to their roles, they know what they're doing and that pays dividends on the basketball team. It's completely different than bringing in Drew Holiday on bringing Andrew Holiday in the trade deadline and not really and not really knowing how he's going to fit in with Giannis and Chris Middleton. Now he has an established role and basically everybody on their team, they have an established role. And it's one of those things to where they might, they can grow eternally instead of growing externally whereas they get more continuity with each other. So I don't, I don't believe that they it's like a foregone conclusion that they won't make the finals because also you never know in a game of basketball. You can go to a game seven and Giannis can drop 50 points and they can make it to the finals. You never know. Yeah, no, I'm agreeing with you. I think that We've seen time and time again, we can't just say, oh, a team definitely is not going to go back to the finals or no, a, de- a team definitely can't make the playoffs or whatever. Like, I think that with the Milwaukee Bucks, it was – Nobody really expected them to win the championship, but they did last year. 
And I know everybody talks about KD and if his foot was smaller, blah, blah, blah. But the fact that they were still able – they still had to beat another team after they beat the Nets. They had to get through the Suns, who was looking incredibly hot going into the finals. A lot of people thought that the Suns were going to win that series, but instead the Bucks did what they had to do to pull it out. And I think that with regards to that, I think that people are just so hung up on how the Bucks get there. We don't fully give them respect for winning it when they did. And I think that with that being said, like you mentioned, I mean, no team in the NBA is perfect. I mean, you mentioned the Bulls look great right now, but who's to say they won't start going on a slump? We don't know what's going on with the Ben Simmons situation. Maybe not having, you know, a true point guard in relief of him or at least um, to trade for him could lead to problems down the line for uh, Philly. And then what you mentioned with Kyrie Irving. And so it's just so many what-ifs around the NBA that I don't think that we're in a position really just to totally count out anybody because right now things are pretty wide open. I think that there's a lot of parity within the NBA, especially in the Eastern Conference, about who's going to represent it. I know it kind of seems like a foregone conclusion that the Nets are going to do it, but injuries happened last year and that hurt them. We don't know what anything could happen. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think it's buffoonery. But, all right, last piece before we make our game picks for tonight. We both mentioned, you know, John Morant has been on an absolute tear these past few weeks since returning from his injury, so much so that two pretty pretty big statements were made about him. So instead of playing believable or buffoonery, what we're going to do is we are going to say which statement is more believable. Starting off with comments made by Kendrick Perkins that said, I'm looking at John Morant, and he's going to be, in my opinion, the next Giannis of the NBA. He is going to be the next superstar to bring a title to a small market. Another comment came from his teammate Desmond Bain after the Nets game that said, people debating whether or not Josh should be an all-star. We should be debating whether or not he's the best point guard in the league. So, which one do you find to be more believable? That Ja will bring... Um, a championship to Memphis or he is the best point guard in the league right now? He's the best point guard in the league right now. Yes. I agree with you. I think that especially because while Steph Curry has been doing Steph Curry-like things, I I don't want to say that the mystique has worn off a bit, but we're not as overall excited or at least not getting those – um, transcendent moments from him like we were early in the season because right now that's really been all Ja. If you want to hear about a point guard that's been taken over, it's really been Ja because truthfully this season it's been between him and Steph as far as being the best point guards in the year, all year. Kyrie Irving really hasn't played much. Damian Lillard has been battling injuries and early in the year he was going through some struggles. So I think that it's much more realistic to say that he is the best point guard right now because that man has been balling. championships because the truth in the the truth in the matter is to win a championship in a sport is one of the hardest things to do. And granny, like we just stated with Giannis, people feel like if it wasn't for injuries and things of that nature, Giannis would have never won his. The same thing could be said about Steph Curry that year when um I, I think it was two thousand and six. When Kawhi got hurt by Zaza. Yeah, Kawhi got hurt then the next year they had uh, the next the next um series, someone else got hurt. And then in the finals, Kyrie Irving tore his kneecap. 
So, like, winning the championship, there's so many variables that you can say with it. But the one thing that you can say currently right now is that, like, his play as of late has him positioned to be one of the top point guards, in my opinion, the top point guard. I understand Trey Young has been on the tear as well. But the difference, I feel like, with Trey Young and with Ja is Ja's doing it. He's affecting winning games. Like, the Grizzlies have, they're on a five, no, six-game win streak. Could, in my opinion, probably would be a seven-game win streak later on tonight because they're playing the Pistons. And they're sitting firmly in, if I'm not mistaken, third, no, fourth in the Western Conference, whereas um, the Trey Young and the Hawks, they they aren't anywhere near being a top seeded, top four seeded team, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, totally agree with you. All right, so let's make our game picks for tonight, January 6th, starting off with the Boston Celtics versus the New York Knicks. I got Celtics. I got Knicks. Detroit Pistons versus the Memphis Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. I got Grizzlies. Golden State Warriors versus New Orleans Pelicans. I got Warriors. I got Warriors. And the Los Angeles Clippers versus the Phoenix Suns. I got Suns. I got Suns. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the first pay-per-view recap of 2022. And, of course, I'm talking about day one, which took place this past Saturday. So, let's go. Um, after Rich Holland gets a broken nose, Sheamus carries the load and defeats Cesaro and Ricochet in the pre-show tag team match. The Usos retain after paying tribute to the Dudleys. Drew McIntyre unsurprisingly beats Madcap Moss. RK Bro uh, punches their black card and defeats the Street Profits in front of Migos. Beth Phoenix helps Edge defeat The Miz. Becky Lynch retains after a mid-match, and after being thrust into the WWE Championship match, Brock Lesnar leaves as the new WWE Champion. After the night, I went 5-1, and one, and so, you know, kind of proud of myself, especially because mostly on the SmackDown side, I was just winging it. Um, my favorite match was the Usos versus The New Day. I'll be the first to say I've never been the biggest fan of the New Day. But when they get in the ring with the Usos, they always have a great chemistry. It was a great back-and-forth match and definitely had a surprise ending. I was not expecting the uh, Team 3D, but not going to complain about it. Uh, My favorite moment, um, pretty much just WWE finally pulling the trigger and setting up uh, Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar. Um, Originally, after seeing all the eye contact, especially when Brock won and Bobby was leaving the arena, um, you – what I originally thought was Biggie would get his rematch at Rumble and then Bobby would see him at WrestleMania, which would have been great. But how they're doing it now with Royal Rumble, I think that it's going to set up a great match too that fans have wanted for a very long time. So shout outs for WWE making it happen. I was very happy to see that. Um, Increased stock, Randy Orton in the black community. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that we make a lot of jokes about Randy Orton and his thoughts on the beautiful black folks in the world. Um, but seeing him and Matt Riddle come out with Migos was pretty interesting. I didn't know who when Migos was going to come out, but I can't say it was going to be with Randy. And then defeating the Street Profits and then just kind of having that, you know, kayfabeless moment where everybody's just in the ring, cool, dapping out. I don't know if the camera's supposed to be on for that, but, you know, stuff happens. But, yeah, just showcase Randy Orton. He likes black people now, so congratulations to him. Decrease stock, I got to go Big E. Whether your feelings on um, Big E's title run, I mean, on the one hand, at least he got it. You know, it was a lot of questions whether or not he was going to be able to get it or not, and now that he did, and it comes to an end, 
at least he went out better than his fellow New Day brethren, Kofi Kingston, to Brock Lesnar. So, you know, there's that. But, I mean, still, he's got to be the option here just because now his his career is kind of like, well, where does he go from here? He's not going to be – I'm sure he's going to be in the Royal Rumble, but is he going to win? Questions about that. Um, My one book in the season, I would have had Big E retain. I mean, for those of you guys who listen to the show, you know that I had Big E retain him before um, – Brock was put into this match. I think that Biggie deserved to be champ for a bit longer before taking the belt off of him. But in the grand scheme of things, I kind of understand why they did. But yeah, that that was mine. Um, my WTF moment. Looking at the bees nest that was Beth Phoenix hair. I hate to pull the what is going on with your head thing, you know, because I feel like it's kind of stereotypical and like the girl in me, I guess. But seriously, she looked stupid. Like, come on, you're big, you're dominant, you're scary, rah, rah, tough, powerful, all that jazz. Why is this on your head? You look dumb. But overall, my show grade was a C plus. Wasn't the most exciting night of wrestling, but overall, none of the matches were totally terrible. Um, I think that it sets up a more exciting Royal Rumble, which I'm definitely looking forward to because I think that the results of this match, I think day one was kind of just a quick money grab before um, Rumble, especially because there wasn't a December pay-per-view. So, yeah, those are my thoughts on the day one pay-per-view. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to continue to support. Um, be sure to check out the export.net or repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our YouTube channel entitled The Extra Fort. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hope we help, help you guys start off the new year, and we'll see you all next time.